Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we have with us kindly once more, Alan Green. Alan, thanks for being with us today. Hi, John. Good to be back. So, Alan, we were just speaking before the podcast. It's been quite an interesting week out there in markets because we've actually seen a, a rally in the FTSE 100, given all of the the doom and gloom associated with the UK government uh, through September and, and much of uh, October. You know, we, we seem to have come out the the other side in a positive way. If we're if we're looking here at UK assets, the pounds recovered to the levels that we saw before the the, the mini budget. Uh, we're seeing stability in gilt markets and indeed, you know, looking at the FTSE 100 now, we've seen a recovery, albeit that recovery not being too much to do with what's happening in Westminster. And that's one of the things that we want to start off with this morning, Alan. We've got a busy week ahead of us in terms of central bank Actions with the Federal Reserve this evening, Bank of England tomorrow, both set to hike. That's largely priced in to markets. It's all going to be about what they they say on the outlook and trajectory of, of rates going forward. But Alan, let's really now focus on what's been the main driver of markets this week, and that's and that's China, because it's you know, looking at what's been happening in markets, it's really uh, a story that's not only helped uh, the, the, the UK markets here in the FTSE 100, but also uh, the Chinese markets and US markets. It's all based really, Alan, on, on rumours, unconfirmed rumours on social media that China are moving towards a situation where they're going to be ending their zero COVID policies. There's been rumours that are going to be setting up a a committee. So, Alan, when, you know, if we're looking at this story now, of course, there's lots of risks attached to to, to China and Chinese stocks. You know, there's potential of delistings of, of some of their um, companies over in the United States. But if we're looking at the economic picture, if we do see a broad reopening of the Chinese economy, Alan, you know, if we're a UK investor and we're taking the perspective of a UK investor, what do you what would you say is the best way to to look at this story? Well, I I, I think it's um, you know China's realizing you know I think uh, given all the saber rattling from uh, Russia and um, you know China China sort of you know uh, covertly or, um, or covertly making its intentions known regarding Taiwan. Um, of course, there's been a lot of concern and a lot of negativity over China. So this move, I mean, there there have been um, a number of pre-recorded interviews out there um, to, to reassuring international investors um, over China's nascent economic strength, uh, because, of course, it's got a property sector crisis at the moment. Um, and uh, the, the strict zero COVID policy has has uh, restricted activity and growth as well. But um, it's it's interesting to know, quite telling, there's an article in the FT, um, uh, the, the UBS chairman, Colin Kelleher, um, uh, spoke at a conference in Hong Kong um, uh, that, that was packed out with Chinese officials who were there to meet international investors. Um, and uh, 
they're, they're, he, um, Kelho was saying that, you know, they actually buy the China story. Um, and of course, really, actions speak louder on words. The fact that the Chinese investors are there, they're looking to um, to open China once again. It, it's going to create huge opportunities. I mean, China, as we know, prior to COVID was the biggest consumer of raw materials, metals, um, metals, uh, uh, minerals and re- uh, other resources. So it means all that will restart. And of course, with the zero COVID policy, um, a lot of that burgeoning development that was taking place will have been stifled um, or will have stopped completely. So in a sense, there's a year or so to catch up on. So it's hugely, hugely exciting. But certainly I think what we're seeing, what we will see going forward is we'll see more demand for the major resource stocks. Um, and, uh, you know, that that's really where I expect the, the, the focus to remain. Of course, we're seeing um, oil prices at the moment and we've got all the issues with, uh, with um, you know, uh, uh, pressure on the government to tax those huge profits, which um, people are saying that they're unearned profits, those that, that you know, that, that the companies haven't earned the profits per se. But certainly, you know, companies like Rio Tinto and Billiton and um, a lot of the global mining companies, and of course, a lot of the companies we talk about regularly, Jonathan, you know, you know the, uh, the the smaller companies, we're going to talk about one today, Sovereign Metals a little later on. Um, but these companies too, that have burgeoning, uh, burgeoning mineral mineral uh, projects that are being developed and bought to market. They're, they've all got a huge opportunity if China opens back up and if it starts to um, starts to consume those raw materials at the pace it was doing a couple of years ago. Yes, indeed. I mean, if you're looking at the share prices, those companies that you mentioned there, in particular Rio Tinto, you're looking at the you know the price here. Uh, around forty-seven pounds. You know, yep. this is a stock that was trading up and around sixty pounds plus, not too, not too long ago. And you know, it's a similar formation on the charts for for Anglo American, Glencore, Anto for Gasler. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you know, th- these are you know, these are quite significant constituents in the FTSE one hundred as well. So when these gain, they do add a, a good number of points to the index. So you know, if we do see some weight behind these rumours that China is indeed going to be moving towards the end of the the zero COVID policy. And as you mentioned, Alan, there's a greater demand for the natural resources as their economy Mm. gets back, uh, gets back in action. You know, we we could see a situation where we see these miners rally at a time when, you know, we're seeing some pretty soggy data coming out of, of Europe and the UK when, you know, looking at the domestic economy here, that could be slowing down whilst the FTSE 100 is actually rallying. You know that's uh, you know that's a situation that uh, we could be facing in the well, in the coming weeks and months. Yeah, absolutely. I I think you're absolutely spot on there, Jonathan. But I think also um, what it does set up it sets up the prospect um, because if that demand and resurgence happens quickly, then um, a lot of the uh, the larger mining companies they'll have um, they'll have uh, reset their production levels to to cater for the existing market. But if there's a sudden resurgence in demand, then we could see shortages. Um, and what that will probably mean is, or it could well trigger, and this is pure speculation on my part, but I I think it's logical speculation. It could trigger a round of uh, M and A activity because uh, the, the larger miners will have to fast-track projects, they'll have to search for new mineral projects. And, of course, that's where 
the small cap uh, mining resource stocks that we talk about, such as you know sovereign metals, uh, power metal resources, ECR minerals, and so on. This is where companies like that will be in focus, and uh, could very well see some M and A activity um, if 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 indeed that uh, opening up of China happens as seems to be the case. Indeed, indeed. I mean, Rio Tinto very recently said that they're, uh, you know, they're, they're setting out a shopping list of, of lithium assets mm. because you know, that's obviously where they see strength. And, you know, looking at some of the junior players at this point in time, you know, there's, there's very much not only here in London, but globally, there's some depressed prices out there. So it'll be quite interesting to see how that's, that plays out going forward into 2023, which is not too far away now looking at the calendar so Alan we I touched on there the, the the UK economy and you know some of the figures that are coming out which aren't particularly fantastic but we've you know we're in the midst of earnings season at the moment here in London and we've been seeing you know mixed results coming out largely we're seeing higher revenues from companies the outlooks have, have been uh the cause for concern, and that's caused a bit of downside in some stocks. But we've had an update this morning from a company which I which I view as a very good bellwether for the UK economy. We, we talk about you know the house builders, of course, you know th- them giving any insight into the housing market is a good representation of what's happening in the in the UK economy. But the company we're going to look at first of all, Alan, is, is next, and it's a good representation of what the UK consumers doing. So they had a trading statement out this morning for the last three months. So what did that look like? Well, yeah, I, I mean, as you rightly say, John, this is very much a bellwether, and I think um, I think what the company's uh, what Next has been able to do over the years is ride out uh, uh, these crises, you know, such as the credit crunch and 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 other other events and um, uh, simply because it's just got a really really strong uh, business model um and certainly uh, certainly you know historically the company has managed to overcome any um any sort of uh, 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 negativity um and uh, and and forecast of gloom and doom simply through uh you know controlling costs very carefully running the business very carefully and um, and uh, you know providing investors with great visibility. So um, these are third quarter results, of course, um, for the uh, up to the end of October. So right up to date, um, full price sales up 0.4 percent on last year. Guidance for the year is unchanged. So I mean that's pretty good because you know this is a it's a bit of a I always think coming out off uh, the summer months uh, into the winter is a bit of a no man's land um, uh, you know certainly October is anyway in the run-up to Christmas but um, you know maintaining full year guidance I think is very important expects pre-tax profits of 840 million which are just over two percent up on last year and earnings per share up four and a half percent to 554p you know which is um, which is a pretty solid performance Um, now of course, we can look forward and say what's going to happen going forward. Um, well, I think if you were going to bet on one company to weather the storm um, and find uh, or, or, or structure a strategy to get through uncertainty, um, next are going to be the company. They just have the right mix. They've got a, a very strong online offering. They've got great stores and probably... If you're going clothes shopping, or you know, if you're going sort of clothes shopping for 
Christmas presents, then next would be one of the first places that you go to. So, so I think uh, you know if you look at the look at the share price performance on the year, we've seen uh, the shares, of course, trading up at uh, fifty pounds at the moment. They've been as high as eighty four pounds, and uh, the recent lows of forty three p. It's recovered a bit from there, and certainly uh, this morning, you know, the market I think has uh, largely um, given the thumbs up to that statement. Shares up. Uh, just over two percent, uh, up just over a pound at uh, at fifty uh, at fifty pounds seventy p. So, so that's a that's a good performance from the group. Of course, you've got a dividend yield on going of two and a half percent. So it's not the biggest dividend player in the book, but uh, I think um, I, I think if you're investing into retail, which is you know which is a pretty challenging sector, let's face it, to invest into right now, given the uncertainties and of course the pressures of cost inflation i think next is probably the one company that could manage that better than most indeed indeed and we just look at some of the sales figures here for october i mean we always talk about the pubs and how they use the weather as an excuse for having poor sales it was a rainy weekend in key uh, weekends over the, uh, the the summer and they have poor sales uh, figures say so they obviously blame the weather um it, it's something we were looking here at, at next and looking at some of the de- the weekly declines that we saw in october now bear in mind um looking at they do comparisons week on week um to the prior year mm. and there was a very strong thing about 11 percent uh uplifting sales for the last week of september but it was a little bit um down i think it was about 3.7 percent in one week in October and mm. just sort of looking at the weather out there, Alan, you know, that's usually the time that people will be going out and buying winter coats, but with temperatures around 20 degrees, there's no real need for people to go out and buy a woolly jumper. Yeah, very much so. At this point in time, which, which people may do. So, you know, a decline of only 3.7% and then looking here the following week is 1.9% uh, decline. And this is obviously a weekend, you know, I think it was last week when we're seeing 20 degrees in the end of October you know, to see those sales only dip that much is a is a good sign for me. So yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I agree completely. It is a good sign. I think, uh, and I think it just shows the the strength of the next offering. And of course, uh, of course, it's uh, it made me chuckle because, of course, these high temperatures mean that um, Putin's plan to uh, wreck the West with um, you know uh, inflated gas supplies and energy supplies, all the rest of it. So far, we haven't needed it. So, if we continue to get this uh, warm winter, then uh, of course his his plans in that regard will be scuppered. But certainly, certainly for next, I think it just shows the depth and breadth of the offering in that um, in that the share price really. Uh, wasn't that badly affected, certainly compared to to other companies and other sectors. You know, the fall was moderate, I think. So, and we've already seen a pretty strong recovery from those lows at forty three pounds per share. So, so yeah, as I say, if you're going to look at a company in the retail sector that really can continue to deliver despite the macro backdrop, I think Next is a very good bet. Yes, yeah, certainly one to. To have a look at. So we're going to move on now to another blue chip company, Alan, which has updated the market and and you know, in a similar fashion to Next is up 2% uh, on the day. It's, it's GSK. Um, relatively good set of results from them. So what are the yeah. key takeaways from that? Yeah, a very good set of results from, from, uh, from GSK. And of course, you know, GSK is very much... Um, uh, another bellwether in a sense it's the it's the uh, the farmer sort of biotech bellwether 
um, that has been around in many portfolios for many years. Uh, you know, I, I held uh, Glaxo uh, for, for many, many years, and um, and but actually, it was really the lack of uh, it, it was a it was a solid performer, but it's um, it's always really. Uh, floated around these sort of price levels. So, you know, compared to some of the, the others like AstraZeneca, it's not really delivered as such. But I mean, there's a solid dividend yield at just under 7%. And certainly today, you know, let's not forget that um, that uh, the, the company announced, of course, it was spinning off um, its consumer health healthcare division, Halion, um, and that was demerged, uh, gave Glaxo a profit of uh, $9.6 um, uh, following that demerger, so that's helped. But certainly, a precipitous fall for the share price in um, you know it, it, after after the summer. You know the shares kind of fell off a cliff, started to recover now, um, and uh, third quarter revenues uh, grew nine percent. So obviously, there was uh, there's there's the company the fall in the share price. I think really was way overdone, particularly looking at some of these numbers here, specialty medicines grew by 24%. Um, and the company has also raised its guidance for the full year. Um, growth now expected between 8 and 10% and underlying profit growth now expected at 15 to 17%. So so really, um, given that precipitous fall, uh, you, one can argue at the moment, uh, given where the shares were, you know, certainly from May to uh, May, May to the beginning of August, um, the the fall has been overdone, and the shares offer uh, offer great value. Um, if we look at um, if we look at some of the other uh, developments from the company going forward, um, the US FDA has accepted its filing for the RSV, that's respiratory single virus uh, adult vaccine, um, and a final decision on that will be made in May next year. But, um, you know, this is GSK's, uh, it's going to be a, very much a flagship product. Uh, uh, the RSV product will be flagship because it's going head to head with the likes of Johnson & Johnson and Pfizer. Um, GSK, uh, uh, Glaxo reckons sales from that could be as high as $4 billion a year um, in addition to what they're already earning. Um, and uh, it, it sees a huge opportunity in the market. But of course, you know, there are lots of hurdles to get, to go through. And that's the thing with a pharmaceutical company. When you're bringing drugs through from phase one, phase two, phase three, cl clinical trials all the way through to those final hurdles, it, it does seem to take forever. But in the case of a large or a giant pharma like Pfizer or like Glaxo, of course, you've got so many on the launch pad that, um, uh, that they then sort of come to fruition at various stages through the year. So, so yeah, in summary, I think um, uh, Glaxo at these levels is paying a dividend of nearly 7%. That's re really attractive. You know, that's, well, it, it's not far but far behind current inflation, um, uh, current inflation numbers. So that's the important thing. If you're holding a stock and if it pays a dividend close to inflation or if you can get the stock at a bargain uh, level um, and enjoy a big dividend at the same time, then you, your money may keep up with inflation. And that's the most important consideration right now. And I think, you know, given that fall uh, over the past year and the Glaxo share price, I think it's looking good value right now. Yeah, as you mentioned there, Glaxo is a, is a bit of a funny one, isn't it, Alan? Because, I mean, going back years, you know, probably over the last uh, decade, I'm going to pull up a chart here, yeah. you know, it hasn't really gone anywhere, has it? You know, it, it, it's it's one, you know, if it, the FTSE 100 company 
you know, it goes up to well, not even quite two thousand. Um, I mean, obviously twenty pounds, uh, two thousand pence. You know, it, it goes down to about ten pounds. It gets up to around that sort of eighteen pounds mark. It doesn't quite like it there and falls down. Yeah. Again, I mean, is there, is there anything that's going to see? Glaxo Smith Klein get above twenty pounds. Well, one would have thought maybe the the uh, spin out of the uh, of the uh, consumer healthcare division might have triggered something. And certainly, uh, you know, earlier this year we, or early this year we saw that year high of eighteen pound twenty four. And I think that's probably a ten year high because I'm looking at the ten year chart now. And as you rightly say, John, you know, you've got uh, looks like a relief map of the Himalayas in in yeah. a way because you're seeing you're seeing the ups and downs and. Uh, one slightly higher peak, which is um, the high from this year. But uh, but I think um, historically that's how Glaxo has performed. Um, and I think if you're going to trade Glaxo, then the time to get in is close to these lows where we are now, um, and and just sit tight for a run to the next peak. So if it if it gets over eighteen pounds again, then I probably uh, you know if particularly if it uh, if it goes ex dividend at eighteen pounds, then I probably jump out and. Um, get the dividend and then wait for the next fall and jump in again. Uh, at least you've got a stock that's, you know, uh, it's a cyclical stock and uh, y- y- you've got almost almost reliable movement there in, in in the market, regardless of the macro backdrop. And I think, you know, from a trading standpoint, that's something that's uh, well worth considering. Yes. I mean, it's certainly a swing trader's dream, this, uh, this stock, albeit some of the, you know, it, it's fairly slow moving. So mm. not, not the most exciting company in the world, but certainly at these areas, it's found support before. I'm just looking at the share price here. It's sort of bounced off that £13 area and starting to, to tick back up again. So as you said, very good dividend there on Glaxo. So moving on now, Alan, Sovereign Metals, they've been on the, the podcast earlier on this year, but there's been an update this morning. What does that look like? Yeah, uh, Sovereign Metals, of course, um, uh, been working with Sovereign Metals for some time and um, you know they have an absolutely groundbreaking asset in the Casilla project, which is, um, it's a Rutar project uh, in the in Malawi, which of course is the warm heart of Africa. Um, now what's Rutar? Rutar is basically titanium dioxide um, uh, and titanium dioxide has a has a nebulous range of applications of course um, it's used in food pigment in steel and copper alloys it's used in welding um, it's used in gems and of course if you go and buy, go to B&Q and buy a tin of brilliant white paint the t- it's the titanium dioxide it, that gives you the brilliant white also has many applications in aerospace too um, but um the significance uh, really uh, of the assets uh, was realised early this year when um, when the, the the company undertook a scoping study and and realised that as they were as they were examining um, the, the the scale and scope of Casia, it was just an absolute monster. Um, comparable uh, comparable assets you've got Sierra Rutile, of course, and Sierra Leone, which is the world's second largest producer. 715 million tons um but uh, the scoping study earlier this year uh put cassia at 1.8 billion tons so you know pretty well twice as big as anything out there but then as the year progressed um the group undertook uh, uh drilling work um and commenced a pre-feasibility study um and the drilling results from the company's uh deeper air core program showed that the rutile and also mineralization of graphite there's graphite there as well 
um, extended well below the previously designed mining pit shells. So what it means is not only is this huge in terms of the land area it covers, it's also really deep too. So we could be looking at an asset um, that is even that is much, much greater than that 1.8 billion tonnes, which is astonishing. So, of course, off the back of this, we've seen the the, uh, the, the share price develop through the years. Shares are uh, well up to date on the news. Um, certainly on that scoping study uh, um, back in April, uh, the share prices, the share price hit a high of 45 pence. Of course, it's traded both on the ASX and uh, the London market here. Um so we're currently sitting at 23.6p, which gives the company a market capitalization of just under 100 million uh, sterling, um, which given the size of the asset is is ridiculous, I think, uh, you know, in this, um, uh, for an asset of this size, given the applications that um, that uh, you have with retail, um, I think it's, uh, I don't think it's going to be here for much longer. And of course, going back to what I said earlier, Given China's resurgence, we could well see one of the major players come in for this asset because it's going to—it's of global importance. So much so, in fact, that the um, that the Malawian Prime Minister at a uh, at a recent conference um, uh, uh, basically talked about Kasia and its importance on the world stage. So you know, it's it's it's. Uh, this is something that could potentially transform the Malawian economy. Never mind um, uh, sovereign metals, which of course will will exponentially grow in value off the back of that. Um, so so far, they've um, secured three offtake agreements um, with Hascor. That's the they're a welding company, welding group, a global welding group. Mitsui, of course, the Japanese company. And today, uh, it, it was announced that the company had secured an offtake agreement with. Shimo, the uh, the chemical giant, um, and uh, the shares are, are up 10% on, on that. But of course, um, all these major uh, chemical divisions are realizing that um, this is going to be the leading source of rutile, um, uh, titanium dioxide going forward. Um, so of course, uh, um, they're, they're signing these Signing up these memorandums of understanding now to 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 get in the door early before before the price goes up and obviously the the uh, the other companies come to to um, to uh, 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 um, complete their own MOUs. But certainly, given where sovereign metals is now, uh, we've seen the share price um, you know since the April high it's come back down. We're just off year lows at twenty three point six p. So I think this is one to buy. It, it's one to tuck away maybe for a year because i think uh, this time next year the share price will be well well ahead of where it is now indeed indeed i mean look, looking at some of these um figures that are coming out of sovereign metals pretty big numbers there uh, so one that's definitely yeah huge worth worth having a look at so just to finish off now alum uh ecr minerals we, we we've been speaking about them on the podcast very recently but there's been a update which we think is worth mentioning. What, uh, what does that look like? Yeah, of course, I'm not going to go into details about all of the assets because I think um, I think most listeners are aware of the, the Kresig and Bayliston assets and the Blue Moon asset which has been drilled. But, um, uh, of course, after the tragic death of Craig Brown last year, um, the company, uh, the company uh, formed a committee to run the business until the new CEO was appointed. New CEO Andrew Haythorpe came in uh, uh, spring this year, um, and of course has uh, came to London. The, the, they presented in London to investors, and Andrew sort of presented his vision of what he saw. And now 
he's put his stamp on the company with um, a, 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 the, a, a potential acquisition of the uh, of Place of Gold, which is an Australian company, of course. And Place of Gold um, is the 100% owner of the Hurricane Project, which is up in North Queensland. And of course, ECR already have an asset up there with uh, the Lulworth Project. Um, but Hurricane is is very much a late stage project in that a lot of work has already been done there in terms of rock chip sampling. Um, the uh, it, it's there's intensive field work and, and sampling, um, very prospective for gold and antimony. It doesn't currently have a jort compliant resource, but um, I believe that what Andrew and the team will now do is fast track that and get a jork estimate in place. And what they have they have a conditional option to acquire where they paid. A, a $39,500, uh, $39, that's about £22,000 deposit. Um, and if they're going to put about 200000 Australian dollars into the ground to conduct, their, to, to conduct their work. And then, of course, if that goes through, then uh, the company will issue shares and will complete on the option. So it's very much a try-before-you-buy deal. You know, Andrew's, Andrew has... Um, has structured this perfectly, but the most significant thing here is that in the company Andrew worked for previously, he was working on the Hurricane Project. He has intimate knowledge of it. He went to university and did his geology degree up in North Queensland, so he's intimately familiar with the project and the area. Given his track record, he uh, he's worked as a geologist, uh, an analyst for an investment bank, um, and um, has run many different mining companies. In particular, he bought Crescent uh, Crescent Gold. He turned that from an $8 million uh, gold exploration company into a $250 million gold producer. So he's got a track record of delivering and transforming companies. And this is his stamp on the company. And as investors, and I, I'm a shareholder in ECR, um, I, you know, we should be very excited about this development because it marks a sea change in the in the phase development of ECR minerals. Indeed, indeed. A lot happening there at, uh, at ECR, Alan. So just a recap of the stocks that we have discussed today. First of all was Next with a ticker of NXT. We then discussed GlaxoSmithKline with a ticker of GSK. It was then Sovereign Metals with a, a ticker of SVML. And to finish off, ECR Minerals, the ticker of ECR. Alan, thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you, John. So just as a note to listeners, we have the UK Investor Magazine Virtual Investment Trust Conference coming up next Tuesday, the 8th of November. So if you're not yet signed up to that, do check out the events section on the UK Investor Magazine website, as well as the notes to this podcast. We'll have a link through to the event page where you'll be able to get yourself signed up. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk. 